Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome to Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. I'm Mark Duffield and you're on SENWA and I'm talking to a veteran of the AFL's umpiring fraternity and a person who continues to give to the umpiring fraternity around Western Australia. Dean Margetts, welcome to the segment. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. So, Dean... We know that you've retired from AFL umpiring for a year or two now. Tell us what keep you busy these days. Uh, yeah, my nine to five job, Mark, is the Waffle and Waffle W operations manager. So I've done that role for four years now. Really enjoy it. Um, I get to manage, you know, the next crop of umpires coming through the system, um, coaches, medical staff. So basically it's a team of about 200 people and we're housed out at Ernest Johnson Reserve in Como. Um, so I enjoy that. Um, I enjoy um, providing a really good environment for young umpires and developing umpires to, you know, apply their craft. And you still umpire? I do, yeah. I go to the country. I uh, really enjoy it out there. I've done games in the Avalon, Central Midlands. So I umpired Mark Lacroix in Cervantes uh, last year, which was good fun. So you build re- relationships with lots of former AFL players and it's always fun to go back in, in a less scrutinised environment, you know, not mic'd up and I can give some feedback back to players and they can give it to me and it's good fun. Um yeah, I've done games in Esperance, Albany, all over. So I'm very fortunate that I'm still physically capable to run around and blow the whistle. And I think the players have enjoyed having someone with a little bit of um, AFL experience out there as well. So tell us about your life growing up. Where where, where did you grow up? I'm a Maddington boy, um, you know, southeastern suburbs. Um, that's where I grew up. Um, I've often said this, you know, when I've asked the question, I, you know, our family wasn't a wealthy family, but my parents... I was very lucky they gave us a very rich upbringing, my brother and myself. So I always had my, my Pima footy boots and, and some billabong board shorts. So I was very appreciative of that. Um, my dad took me around to the Maddington footy club when I was seven years of age. And on reflection, Mark, I, I've been basically competing in sport ever since that time, be it playing junior footy, little athletics, surf life-saving, swimming, and then obviously now uh, umpiring as well. So yeah, I've, I'm, I'm lucky that I've had a um, good genes from my folks to give me the ability to run around and um and stay pretty much injury free for a long period of time. Because you're a bit of a rude dog, aren't you? Yeah, you've got a long, lean build. Yep. Those guys tend to have good longevity. I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, I I'm still the same weight as when I umpired in the AFL. So I, I'm very conscious of not being that. Geez, you put on some weight, Dane. So <laughs> I'm very I'm very lucky when people say to me, "Geez, you look like you can still umpire AFL." So that gives me a bit of um good for the ego, if nothing else. So as a kid. Out at Maddington, mm. what did you dream of being? Did you dream of being a player? I think so. I think you always want to be a player. I mean, I was a um, a bit of a CBAK supporter growing up because Maddington was Marana Gold and you know, CBAK were Marana Gold, so that was an easy given. And Dad Barrick for CBU um, as, a, as a young fella. So, um, yeah, I kind of you know, aspired to be like a Dwayne Lamb and Neil Taylor, those sort of guys, you know, um, Stephen Sells and Warren Deans. That was my sort of era growing up. Um, but I never even thought about it like the young kids can think about it today because, you know, the draft was never a big thing back then. You just sort of played and 
I was fortunate enough to end up playing about 57 league games for Maddington in the Sunday League as a, as a skinny, wiry, very wide receiver. I wasn't big on pain, Mark, so I was happy to get the ball and run. <laughs> um, so I was lucky. The club was never really successful, but it's just a great family club and a, and a place that I just love spending a lot of time with at. So when did the thought into your head that you might become an umpire? It was, um, I just finished coaching an under-13s team, um, and fortunately I was lucky enough to coach a young player called Dominic Cassissi. So to think how our paths would cross later in life was pretty unique. I coached a young side for a year, and it got very tough with work and, and time commitment, so I, I had to end that after that first season. Then I thought to myself, I love the game so much still. How can I stay involved? And I was at my best mate's house, um, Craig out in Thornley, and I opened up the comment news, and it had umpires wanted at the South Suburban Juniors Umpire Association, which is now the Demons District. And I thought, I might go try that for a year. I went down there and I was very lucky that I could um, run around and blow whistle. I was a bit more mature. I was about 20. I wasn't like a 13-year-old kid. And I started my junior career and uh, by chance, uh, two years in, David Johnson, the then, I guess, the then me of the Waffle back then said, hey, I think you've got some talent, Dan. I might get you to come down to the Waffle. And I was like staggered. There's no way the Waffle are going to want a skinny person like me from Maddington and to David's credit he sent me a letter for pre-season in 1998 and then my journey started. So who were your contemporaries? Who was coming through the talent development pathway at that stage? Uh, who, oh, Craig Hendry, um, you know, Luke Farmer, you know, Mark Fussell, that was sort of my, my, my crew, David Corcoran, Brett Rosebury had sort of just sort of was coming through but then moved to Melbourne very early as you know. Um, and then the, you know, the, the guns were like your Grant Vernon's, your Greg Scroops, your Peter Rippers, you know, you know, Trevor, uh, Trevor Garrett. So they were the guys when I got there, also looking up to, you know, the guys I used to watch umpire and Subi versus Perth. I was now running around with them. So it was pretty, um, pretty special for me to be part of that. Tell us about your early experiences umpiring, good and bad. Um, they were always pretty good. Um, like I said, I was, I was sort of 20, early 20, so I was a bit more mature. I was a, a sales rep at a company in Vic Park, so I had some life skills about me. I was sort of prepared for any of the knocks that came along the way. Um, but my, my journey was very quick. I, I was almost learning how to umpire at AFL. I, my first year at Waffle was 98. I did um, um, my first league game in 1999, and I umpired the Waffle Grand Final in 2000. So to think that I joined up in 98 and I did East Romano versus East Perth in 2000 after only about 37 league games, which I think was the second lowest of all time. So I was very lucky. Um, and then in 2000, um, sorry, 2002, I was elevated to the AFL. So it happened very quick. And I think initially when Jeff Geeshan and Rowan Saws put me on the AFL list, they're probably thinking, geez, what have we got here? Because I was still a bit raw, but and it takes you probably four or five years to fully understand AFL footy. It's, it's tough. Um, but to their credit, they backed me in and, uh, 21 years later, I, you know, obviously um, achieved a, you know, a reasonable amount of games and a, and a bit of success along the way. Did you cop abuse? Yes. Is, there a, is there a memory that stands out? Uh, I had no problem with the crowd abuse on game day. Uh, that That's sort of a bit part of it. But what let's I, say before you get to the AFL and you're at, you're at smaller venues yeah. and you can hear the individual voices. Yeah, you do. Nothing, nothing that ever riled me too much. I mean, I'm always water off a duck's back sort of guy. Um, I've always, I always try and teach young umpires, you know, the only feedback you should take is from, you know, your peer group, your coaches or your friends. Other people watch the game from two colours eyes or a scoreboard's eyes and they don't know you as a person. So um, it doesn't make it any easier, but that's the skill set I try and you know, educate the young umpires on. What, what I found probably in the last five years of my career was the, the social media stuff, the, the yeah. personal messages. Um, now, I guess I was sort of the face of umpiring WA for probably a good portion of my career. I mean, there's not many of us over here and um, when I needed to go to someone, I guess I was that person. 
and umpiring regularly in WA, you become more recognised. Um, so some of the messages I would get after a game, you know, they could be up to, you know, 30 or 40 messages on my phone um, from people I don't know. They just get a little message, you know, non-friend messages. And some of those towards the end were pretty strong and, and pretty forthright. And, you know, things like, um, you know, can't wait to see in the car park at Optus, we'll glass you next time or we know where you live. And, you know, real personal stuff. We think, oh, I get the footy holding the ball, get a free kick wrong here and there. But, you know, some of the stuff, you know, if I flashed them up on a screen, it would probably shock you. And I do a fair few talks around the place and I like to have a few slides just to show people that, you know, you might not be aware, but these are some of the things that I used to get. And a lot of people come up to me after those chats and go, geez, I had no idea that was a level of stuff you would receive. So it's it's quite shocking for some. So did you have to filter what social media platforms you're on or uh, cancel yeah. social media? Or uh, not necessarily because I think, I don't think I should have to change my life because of that. And, you know, social media has its positives. Um, there's also some ills there. I mean, you know, share photos of your kids so other people can see it. That's all the good stuff. But sometimes towards the end, it became a bit of an interest thing. You know, what, what am I going to get today? And get some fodder for my, my, my talks, but you know, some stuff, you know, was pretty, pretty damning and, and they talk to you like they think that they know you. And sometimes I would actually reply and say, okay, thanks for your feedback there, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, what, what, what time in the game was that, that freaky you talking about? And they almost go, oh, 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 I, I, I didn't think you'd reply. Like you're some sort of just a free platform to abuse you. And there was a couple of times I'd look at the picture of the person. And if I saw a, an elderly guy holding his two grandkids, I would often go back and say, mate, imagine you're sending that, or I'm sending that to your grandson in 10 years' time. How would you feel? And some of them come back and actually apologize. Oh, sorry, Dan, I had no idea. And you have a moment. There was one bloke I really challenged strongly, and he was actually a member of Fremantle Footy Club, and I, I sent it to the AFL Integrity Department. I think they had some conversations. And to Freo's credit, I think they actually suspended him for two years because they didn't want their club to be standing behind values like that. So um, there were some interesting test cases I did trial at times. So a lot of this stuff – was it about club loyalty or was it about stuff like gambling where maybe a, a bet had been stuffed up? Yeah, no, it was never never mentioned about the gambling side of it. It was more that um, – it was more free, I thinking I was the number one ticket holder at West Coast. I had a parking bay there and, you know, I was best mates with the Eagles players and uh, those sort of things, which was, you know, a little bit unfair because, to be honest, Mark, I've, I've always hoped that Fremantle and West Coast both are successful. I think that's very good for WA footy. It's healthy for all and – um, there was never any allegiance um, towards a club for mine. I've got really strong professional relations with both clubs, you know, administration, coaching and players. So that used to sort of roll me a bit when people just assumed I had you know, the parking bay next to Adam Simpson at MRP when that wasn't the case. <laughs> yes, no, they're very, uh, very passionate, the, uh, the football supporters across the board. We'll take a break. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything we're talking to veteran umpire Dean Margetts. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. I'm Mark Duffield, and I'm talking to Dean Margetts, the veteran West Australian umpire. Umpired 377 AFL games, Dean? Yep, 377, 110 waffle, and I was stuck on 487, so that always just, will just be in my little crawl that we've got to like to get to the 500. How old were you? So you said you started late. How long did it take before you thought, geez, I, I actually might be good at this? I think when I, um, when I did the waffle grand final in 2000, I thought, geez, you know, to get to that point, 
and I've gone past a few people which I thought that wouldn't be possible. I, I thought maybe I'm okay at it. And I was always a pretty fit guy and you know, never carried any weight and never drunk, never smoked. So I always knew that was going to hold me in good stead. And then when I started to be identified from the talent in the AFL and I was, you know, went to the 18s championships and got to meet my contemporaries, I thought, you know, I, I, I'm actually could be all right at this. And then, like I said, in 2002, when Jeff Gershon gave me that call to say I'd got a contract, it was you know, a, a massive thing, huge. What's the hardest skill to learn, do you think, as an umpire? Skill, that's a good question. I mean, it would be easy just to say the bounce, but for me, I think it's the ability to deal with players in really heated moments when the pressure's really on, when you know, the best decision makers, in my view, are the ones who can stay the composed the most in the heat, and that's what you see with you know, the champs like Rosebery and Stevick and those guys, they can do that. And you know, at the MCG in front of 90,000 people in a close game, when – everyone's on edge and you know the cameras are on you and everything's happening. You've just got to be able to, to be able to speak in this rather methodical tone like we're talking now and it's not always easy. So I think that just takes time. There's no handbook for that, Mark. You've just got to have umpires experience over years and years and, and game after game. How did the talent development pathway for an umpire look back when you were coming through compared to how it looks now? Um, I think it was probably similar but just in a more of a, I guess, relevant format to the time because we're talking 20 years ago now. So I guess, you know, it, it's similar. Um, I mean, I don't think there was as much talent ID. We have people go around the States now and, and go look at umpires where I think it was more reliant on the States saying, hey, we think Margetts, Worthington and Fussell are going okay, have a look at them. Um, so more state related. But, you know, obviously still working in the football umpiring now. Um, it's not too dissimilar. You know, we have a radar on all our, our, our umpires coming through and we link that in with the AFL and they come over and meet and we talk and I think, now we get a pretty pretty good outcome with who we, we put forward. Can you remember your waffle senior debut? Would have been the first yeah. sort of like biggish game you umpired. Do I'll never forget it. It was round one, nineteen ninety nine, Fremantle Derby, um, at so East Fremantle Oval. Earl Sporting was the captain of East Fremantle, and Peter Worsfold was the captain of South Fremantle. I umpired with Peter Rapper, you know, a, a senior umpire. You know, quite a um. You probably uh, got feedback at the coin toss. From yeah, I think, <laughs> I think we did actually. And <laughs> I remember um, Mark Fussell was with me, and it was just a huge day. My my family and friends were all there, and I'll never forget a moment in the game, Mark, where um, I didn't pay a mark to. I think it might have been a Southman player anyhow. I think I can't remember the play. It might have been Peter Worth. So I came up and gave me an almighty spray, and then. In the blink of an eye, Peter Rapper's standing next to me and reminding Peter of his responsibility as a player and obviously a few words, a few choice words. And I remember looking back and looking at Reps going, wow, you know, he's, he's got my back. And it's a moment I've never forgotten. And I still rem remind Reps today at any function about how that moment always stuck in my mind that for a bloke to come flying in to defend me like that, I thought, you know what, umpire's a pretty good place to be part of. So you mentioned the 2000 Waffle Grand Final, which you did. What do you remember about that game? Who was that? Was that one of the East Perth Grand yeah, Finals? It was. It was a, probably the East Perth trilogy. You know, Tony McHale and Jeremy Barnard were sort of dominating waffle footy, and yep. um, East Shermana were sort of um, you know working their way through it. And yeah, it was East Perth game to lose, I guess. But again, you know, sort of thirty-two thousand at you know at Subiaco yeah, Oval on, on a yep. warm day, and ABC are broadcasting, and it's like, whoa, this is this is pretty special, you know. And to do it with a couple of good friends of mine, you know, um, uh, Brett Rosebery and David Corcoran was like. Wow, Waffle Grand Final, me, this skinny little punk from Maddington, it, it didn't feel kind of right that I was there because it happened so fast. Like I literally walked into the doors in 98, did my first game in 99, then I'm doing a Grand Final in September 2000. 2000. You know, it's, a, it's a picture on my wall that I often walk past and reflect and I think to myself, crikey, that's now 23 years ago <laughs> and a lot's happened in between. Tell us about 
the first point of contact from the AFL about joining their their list of umpires? So I yeah, so two thousand and one, um, you get put up to trial like for for NAB Cup, and that was a really tough that was a really tough period too, Mark, because these days umpires are identified sort of you know two or three years out, whereas we basically had two or three NAB Cup games to just. If we failed, well, bad luck. Or if you go, okay, you're a chance. And I, I remember I did a game. It was Fremantle versus the Western Bulldogs. And I was a real footy nuffy. I like to think I could commentate a game, if, you know, because I knew the players. And and back then I, I always thought, you know, if I know most players' names, if I had to call a player back on the mark, they'll always respond better to their name versus, hey, mate, or number six. So when Jeff Geeshan called me to say I'd been put on, they, I remember him vividly saying to me, one of the things – that one of the skill sets you had done outside of Umprim was the ability to know every player's name. We just thought the fact that you went and learnt that and understood that, it just gave you an edge um, above other umpires. So it was a bit of a big tick, and that was probably one of the other reasons I got on probably as early as I did. Is umpiring in the AFL, like the skill of umpiring AFL, is it different to umpiring, say, Waffle? Is the game different and therefore yeah. the nature of the umpire? Yeah, it's, it's different. There's no doubt. The game's played differently. Um, it's it's high intense. And we put some Waffle umpires into some practice matches for AFL, you know, in pre-season. And even when they come back from pre-season match simulations, they're like, crikey, oh, just the speed. And I guess it's the professional athlete, Mark. You know as well as I do that, you know, they're at the club every day, their gym, their strength, their collisions, the speed. Um, as much as I've got full aberration for our waffle um, playing group, um, they just don't have the same facilities, the same time, and I guess the same um, involvement as the AFL player. So, of course, you're going to get a different product. Your first game in the AFL, where was it? What do you remember? Yeah, I do. Round five, 2002, West Coast versus Brisbane um, at Subi. Again, a really warm day. I umpired with Stuart Wen and Mark McKenzie. And again, I'll never forget this moment either, Mark, where I, I had the ball and they gave me the first bounce. Um, so you can imagine I'd had this moment in my mind for probably six months, you know, um, just before the siren went, I looked to my left and there was cousins, Kerr and Judd, Michael Gardner and I looked to my right and there was black Ackermanis boss. And I'm thinking this can't be right. <laughs> Reset here. Um, now I reflect back on that game now and I think there was, um, Multiple Brownlow medalists, multiple runner-up Brownlow medalists. Um, there'll be some Hall of Fame players come out of that game. And here I was, this again, this skinny bloke from Maddington, um, starting a West Coast versus Brisbane game with these players. And ironically, my, my father's from Brisbane, um, uh, born in Bundaberg, and they were actually in Queensland at the time. So not did they think I was going to be debuting that early. So they went on a holiday and they watched the game from Brisbane. So that was a bit of a quirky Notion on that game. Would have been, what, about 40,000 at the game? I think game that was, was? 41,000 or 38, you know, high. Eagles ended up winning by about four or five goals. Um, but again, it was just a blur. And that, and that bounce that I had, Mark, the first bounce, is probably the best bounce I've ever done. It was just height, perfect spin. I got caught going, crikey, how good did that go? <laughs> so um, that was very fortunate to have that special moment, yeah. Can an umpire bounce the ball too high? Is that uh, – there was one uh, – was it Matty James yeah, who used to send it into the did. stratosphere? Yeah, I think that was the day when you used to have the cricket pitches at the G and SCG and that probably inflated the height. But, you know, Matt Nichols, you know, current umpire, good mate of mine, um, some can do it. In the law book, it doesn't actually say how high it should go. It just has to be a fair and even contest of both ruckmen. So, again, you know, some umpires have got a, a perfect skill with it. It's like a golf shot. Some just naturally good at it. Some have to work really hard at it. I've always found the taller guys with the longer levers probably a bit easier. Um is but having what, said that, is that what went wrong for Craig O'Donoghue? Wasn't yeah, it? <laughs> possibly. But I think he'd admit that himself. He's open to admit that. But even someone like Ray Chamberlain, who's you know a multiple grand final umpire, um, before games you can see how stressed 
the bounce causes Ray. And he's an experienced, you know, human being. So when I look at that and then I think to myself, what is an 18-year-old kid doing at Waffle? Um, you know, what's that causing him? I, I can see where potentially um, we can make some decisions around that. We'll take another break. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We're talking to Dean Margetts, veteran AFL umpire and great servant of the game in Western Australia. Servant of the game in Western Australia. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. I'm Mark Duffield and I'm talking to veteran umpire Dean Margetts. Dean, 377 AFL games. Who are your favourites? Gee, that's a really good question. I get asked that a lot, actually. It's they're probably not my favourites. They're ones that I sit back and sometimes admire. And um, I, I I remember thinking, you know, Simon Black, you know, at his best, you know, in and close, his hands, you know, really, really good. You know, Michael Voss's courage, um, you know, Nick Ray Walt's running capacity um, and his courage too. Um, you know, Ben Cousins at his peak, you know, the work rate, you know, the brilliance of Chris Jard, you know, the uniqueness of Matthew Pavlich. I mean, I could list a thousand names. There's just so many, but... I have a great admiration for the, the AFL player because I get the opportunity to go and watch them at training and I see what they do, what they go through, the coaching, the the, the effort to get to game day, the collisions, the the, the pressure. Um, so I just admire any AFL player, what they do. So you once did a list of 11 favourite players and, and some of them on that list are the ones you'd expect. Josh Kennedy, who's as admirable as it gets, Harry Taylor, similar, Pendlebury champion. There's a name on there, Griffin Logue, you had as one of your favourite players to umpire. Now, I'm not saying Griffin's not in that league or anything, but why was Griffin Logue one of your favourites? Uh, it wasn't actually favourite. It was um, ones I had respect for and for reasons right. around that. So Griffin Logue is a, a young player, sort of, you know, kind of cut his feet at Fremantle, but I always found him on the field every time I paid a free kick against him, the way he would sort of handle it and the way he would ask for feedback and clarity. And I always thought, gee, for a young player um, to have that sort of measurement, um, I thought that's a potential leader in the making. So it, that was one of my reasons, just his approach. He'd always use my name. Obviously, we meet players at training, and I always respect the guys who can look in the eyes and say, like, hey, Dean, what was that paid for? And I thought, you know what, that's that's just a nice little tool to have in your kit bag. Because I think umpires, we're human beings. We like to be treated like human beings. And I think the players who can um, come up and have those measured conversations, you have a lot of respect for. So you and David Mundy share a record. We do. What is that? We have a unique record, Mark, where um, 81 times I've umpired David Mundy and David um, has obviously played under my, my official officiating. Um, and the next closest, I think, is 72, and that's Joel Selwood and Matt Stevick. And I think just under that's Brett Rosebury and Scott Penderbury. So it's a pretty unique um, world record to have. I'm thinking about ringing the Guinness Book of Records up to get some clarity on that, but um, – yeah, David and I have joked about it, and it's something that we should be both be pretty proud of. So I hope you get along. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, David. Um, yeah, I mean, you've, I've known those guys for close to sort of twenty years. I mean, his whole career is pretty much been my whole career. So you do. Um, I don't go to Dave's house for barbecues, but certainly, um, if I pass through the street, we'd be on first name basis and we'd have a chat and shake each other's hand for sure. So in Perth. It's almost like I know there are people that support other clubs in Perth and there's also people who don't barrack for any football team in Perth, but it's almost assumed that you're either one or the other. Mm. 
How do you deal as an umpire with the assumed two-team bias in Perth? Uh, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I know that um, I think Alan Richardson used the, the noise of affirmation sort of thing before. That, that was never an issue for me as an umpire and, and any experienced umpire. Maybe when you're coming through the system, it could be a little bit of a trigger moment. But It so used we, to get loud though, didn't it? When yeah. They, oh, when, yeah. When they moved to um, Optus Stadium, I think West Coast made a big thing of that real Coliseum feel. And yeah. it was even like the way they built up to the games with the crowd standing. I, I reckon by the time the ball was bounced, the – Opposition would have felt like Christians yeah. in in the Coliseum, in the Coliseum about yeah. to be fed to the lions, and I was, did that even subconsciously perhaps maybe have an effect oh, on? I don't life? think so because you're so worried. You're not when I say worried, you're so focused on getting this bounce straight. Okay, you've done your form for the game, the ruckman, who's tagging who, so you're so ingrained in what's happening around you. And I would love to take um, people on a two minute tour of a start of a game just so they could appreciate the speed, the sound, the movement, the the, the courage of the player. And then go, oh, my God, you've actually got to make decisions as well. Um, someone often said, we actually did a, a, um, a bit of a review. We, we've got to make about 3,000-odd transactions in a game. You know, play on, you know, not 15, all these. You're, you're constantly talking, so you've just got to be in the moment. And, yes, there's some noise there for sure. Um, I remember the loudest crowd, Mark, ironically, was when I did the Dreamtime game here, the Essendon versus um, yep. Richmond game, which was great because it was the first time that there's just two Victorian clubs. That was really – I think it was when um, – Alec Waterman might have kicked the goal for Essendon, like get him in front. He did. And that was as close to as loud as I've ever heard, to be honest. So who would have thought that? Two Victorian clubs and the crowd was extraordinary. Obviously, Richmond ended up winning the game. But for that moment, early in the fourth or late in the third, when they hit the front, when Waterman kicked that goal, I remember thinking, crikey, that's as loud as I've heard. Do you reckon that was because probably a lot of West Australians either adopted one team or I think the other? So. And you're getting that two-team noise, which yep. you don't get. Don't get. That, that was probably playing. the difference. It was more there for the spectacle of the night and the game versus probably who was winning or losing. Yeah. Now, you you mentioned getting some feedback from Fremantle supporters about you know, assuming that you are a card-carrying member of the West Coast mm. Eagles, <laughs> but you called, if I'm right, you called the deliberate out of bounds that gave Ballantyne the shot. Did on goal. That's in a the good memory, Mark. In the 2011 Derby, didn't you? <laughs> did too. Matt Rose still reminds me to this day that was the wrong decision. Matt works down at Peel Thunder now. So every time he says, Dan, that was still wrong. Um, I think it was right. Now, if you watch that, that's a pretty good decision. The funny thing was um, when I paid that, um, and I thought it was the right call and obviously um, uh, hit the post for memory, didn't he? He did. hit the post. I think it would have been touched, might have been if, touched. if it wasn't going to hit the post. Funny, funny story with that. I got a call Monday. when, As an AFL umpire based in Perth, every time the numbers 03 come up, you know it's AFL house and – 10 o'clock Monday morning, 03. Oh, beautiful. I take the phone call. Rowan rings out. How you going? It's good. I said, how was the game? How good was that? He goes, yeah, it was a good game. And he goes, what do you think about the um, the last set play? I said, oh, perfect. You know, um, good decision. Um, all set up right. And he goes, what about the play on call? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, when Ballantyne played on after the siren, why didn't you call play on? I said, oh, I, I said, well, I didn't think the game would want that. And he goes, but what about the West Coast Eagles footy club? Do you think they want the rules to be applied? So I got a bit of a shellacking for not calling play on because once you step off your line, it should be end of game. So, And he took a, a wheel. I don't think it was probably his natural kicking action. And he played on and I didn't call it. So if they had have scored a goal, technically, I might have missed a couple of weeks of footy for not applying the rules right. So there you go. Did Rowan not watch Buddy Franklin take set shots in those days? <laughs> I don't yeah. think Rowan, yeah, I don't know. I think he was trying to just remind me as a developing umpire that, you know, you just got to make sure that our job's not to get caught up in the moment and think that's good for footy, but we've got to apply the laws, you know, every minute of the game. Is that the biggest call you've made? And if not, what is the biggest call you've made, do you think? 
I can I it's probably the biggest non-call I've made, Mark. It was probably in the 2015 preliminary final, West Coast North Melbourne. Um, it was late in the third quarter, and I, I'll never forget it. And I always remind Luke about this because I think it might have cost me maybe a grand final in the AFL. Um, he went to pick up the ball and he sort of slid into the knees. I think it might have been from Swallow, Andrew Swallow yep. for North. And I remember vividly, I went to blow my whistle for contact and for some split second, I thought, play on. And I've got a fair bit of clarity on mind that that decision or non-decision probably didn't help me not being considered for the AFL grand final that year. Because you umpired, what, 12 finals, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of prelim finals. So, um, I mean, it's always difficult to, to do it probably based in Perth. Um, you know, Jeff Douglas, you know, did a grand final in 2015 that year. So I was a bit mixed emotions. I was worried, I was disappointed for myself, but also very happy for Jeff to, to get the gig that year. Um, but yeah, I'll, if someone says to me, do you regret not doing a grand final? Regret's not the right word. Um, I would love to have done one, but I've done everything else but. You know, I've done an Anzac Day game special. I've done a game in Dubai. I've, I've travelled the world with footy and... I've met some great people and, you know, I, I can pass through many, many a person, media, coach, player, administrator, and be on first name basis. You know, being an AFL Life member is something I, I'm really proud of and it's really special. And uh, I remember standing up on the stage there with Luke Hodge and Jared McVeigh and, and Gary Ablett Jr. getting inducted at the same time. I thought, this is just not right. Um, so they're, they're special moments that I'll always cherish. The plane drama, coming back from a game. Yeah. The plane had to land in Adelaide. I think it was 2016. Uh, yeah, about that 20. Oh, actually, might have been earlier. Might have, yeah, I can't remember now. It's a long time ago. Um, but talk, yeah, talk us through that. Yeah, it was a it was a good one. Um, I did a preseason game, Melbourne St Kilda, really warm day in Melbourne. Um, at Marvel Stadium, nothing different. Did the game, shower, jumped in the cab, off to the airport, and about an hour into the flight. Um, I remember saying the air hostess, I, I just don't feel, I don't feel great. I feel like I'm going to, I'm having like a, I was getting sweaty and looking a bit gray and, um, she goes, I'll oh, just go and wash your face and go back and sit down, have something to eat and see how you go. So I did that. And then I still felt this pain in my chest and it was really, you know, getting really something I've never felt before. So I went out the back and they laid me down and gave me a f- wet flannel and they paid to see if a doctor was on, on board. Fortunately, um, doctor. Livingston was in seat 1B. I'll never forget his name, clearly. <laughs> Dr. Livingston, I Dr. presume. Dr. Livingston. He came back and said, look, um, so what do you do? He, I said, I'm an umpire. He goes, oh, so cricket umpire. I said, no, no, footy umpire. So he was obviously of English background, so I didn't quite know what we did. I said, look, I've run about 15Ks, a little bit fatigued, but nothing unusual for me. Um, he goes, oh, there's something about your face which doesn't look right. So I, I said, well, um, he goes, look, I think we should divert the plane. It's going to either go to Kalgoorlie or Adelaide. And then in the end, um, what I had, I had a ruptured um, ulcer in my stomach, which had burst. So if I had have said, mate, no diversion, uh, he, he said pretty unequivocally that, you know, it could have bled out and I, I could have probably died. So it was pretty full on. And um, I didn't realize then the, the pull of AFL footy. Um, I remember putting on a social media post, hey, if you ever want to get a free flight to Adelaide, this is what you got to do. And I hit send and all of a sudden my phone's ringing. I've got radio stations ringing me and TV wanting to know my story. I was like, whoa. So I, th- I knew then that, gee, AFL is pretty, pretty big in our state. But I guess on my profile as an umpire had grown because I'd done it for 13 or 14 years and it's a bit of a story. So um, it was good. I got lots of well wishes. I got texts from Alistair Clarkson and, and Ross Lyon wishing me well. So I thought, wow, maybe I've got a little bit of respect in the industry to get those sort of calls um, from people like that. You know. We'll take another break. We're talking to Dean Margetts. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. 
You're listening to Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. I'm Mark Duffield, and I'm talking to umpiring veteran Dean Margetts. Dean, you're now a coach or a, a manager, an umpiring manager at the West Australian Football Commission. Why get involved in that after such a long period in the in the game? I was I, I took a job with the commission about eight years ago as the umpiring development manager. I was in between jobs, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And and someone said, "Hey, you've thought about." thought about doing this and I thought, gee, I never thought about working in a sport that was my love and my hobby and my passion. So that sort of came about and then I, I took on that and then I've just sort of evolved through the system and district circumstances when the waffle, when sort of Daryl Sinclair sort of moved on, there was a spot there and I wasn't probably thinking about it at the time, but I always had in the back of my mind when I was training, if I ever got into a role like that, what would I do to make it better for the umpire environmentally, culturally? So I'm now in a position where I can make those decisions and, and sort of, I guess, adjust the needle to what's required. So, and I'm really proud of the group we have at Waffle. You know, like I said, 200 odd staff, you know, we stand behind a really strong cultural um, charter. I love seeing 16 year old kids walk in and I always say to them, look, umpiring is an important part, but if you can walk out of here in five, 10, 15 years time, a better person in the community and you've learned some great things and built some great friendships. And that's a job that I can say I've, I've done okay. Is the environment for umpires okay at the moment? Is yep. it, yeah, I how, think how it is. are we going with abuse and, and that sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, look to the to the WF Footy Commission's credit, they spent a lot of money and resource on a stop the umpire abuse campaign last year, which you'd you'd know about. Look, you're never gonna stop it, but if we can somehow um, you know, call it a bit of behaviour, you know, every every little junior game, make someone think about what they're saying. I mean, I often go up to people and say, Look, that kid you're out there abusing, that's actually my, you know, little cousin. And they're like, what? What do you mean? I said, how would you feel if I um, started abusing your young son who's playing? Well, you can't do that. I said, well, you're doing it to my my, my umpire out there now. And, I, I, and I'm lucky I'm in a position where I can do that. I've got the confidence to do that. I know how to deal with that. But if we can have parents to settle – and I think coaches play a huge part, Mark. I mean, I, I spoke at a coaching conference on Sunday at EJ in front of 40 coaches. I said, look, if you go out and shake the umpire's hand pre-game, go out and shake the umpire's hand post-game – the feeling that will give to that umpire of just, oh, maybe I did okay, is huge. And what that says to the parent group behind you is, oh, if the coach thinks they went okay, then maybe they're okay. And it can just change the um, the balance and the tone of, of, of a game day environment. So um, I think that's really important for our game. But I think it's okay. We're, we're getting better. Um, we'll never stop the lone wolf, but I think um, we're on the right track. Four umpires. What do you think? Yeah, not sure. Not completely sold. I, I did that trial in that buy period about, you know, five or six years ago when we did it, it was a bit of an ad hoc thing for trial. I understand the rationale that they're trying to do. And I think it's designed to probably transition some more talented umpires into the system where there's some experienced umpires around them. Our game's so 360, so quick. Do we need another body in the middle there? I'm not sure. Will it improve decision-making? We might pick up the odd throw here and there. But I think our game's at a position where you just can't see it all. So I, I'm, I sit on the fence a bit. Um, I'd like to see how it's going to go. Um, but I'm a big traditionalist with this. The three umpire, you know, each sort of quarter, you know, each sort of third of the ground, um, you rotate through. But it's going to lessen the load for some of the experienced guys. So um, maybe I could have hung on for a couple of years. I was going to ask right? you that. Maybe yeah. you could make a comeback. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> get those extra games, get you through to 500. Exactly. Um, what's the hardest decision for an umpire to make? Is it? Holding the ball, is it throwing the ball? Is yeah. it holding the man? What is it, do you think? Holding the ball is a challenge because there's so many cues around it. You know, illegal disposal, prior opportunity. Did you make a genuine attempt? Um, but I think probably one of the tougher ones is the insufficient intent rule because there's so many things going through your mind. You've got to sort of remember who kicked it, 
where was it kicked, where did it land. Um, and then as an umpire, you're probably thinking to yourself, this might go out of bounds, does it go out of bounds? So there's a lot going through your mind. So I think for any umpire, I would always find that one can be a challenge because you've got a lot to process and you've got to remember a few things behind, um, I guess, the kick or the disposal as well. So I think that's going to be an interesting one. That's why I'm looking forward to the trial we're having in the Waffle in the pre-season this year. We'll have the last disposal just to see if that helps. Does it take that um, that decision-making process off the um, field umpire to make an insufficient intent because it's going to be last disposal anyway? So I think you know Waffle should be commended for, um, for trialling that and just seeing how that's going to play out. We've already discussed the bounce. Um, you you like it, but you think it'll yeah. go? Yeah, I've loved it. I always used to love starting games. It was, you know, it was something that I found easy to do, uh, if that's the right word. But I, I as I said to you off air, uh, Mark, I think now I've seen a lot of young umpires. You can see their minds change. They have a bad bounce. Their whole body language sags. We want them to be paying the right free kicks. You know, four or five straight bounces in a game. Is that what we want? Mm, it's nice. It's aesthetically good, but it's not the be all end or and. Um, whilst we're going to trial it in, in the Waffle this year, I, you know, I think in time it's going to happen and I think that'll just free up a bit of stress for the umpires and, and, and also break down the barriers for getting um, new umpires into the system as well. Does the umpires, oh, sorry, does the AFL change the rules too often for umpires to get really good at a set of rules, do you think? I, th- I think the biggest, yeah, yes and no, but my biggest challenge to the AFL and I was only out there during the week with, at a conference was the way we write the law book is such a hard read. It's not written easy for a 15-year-old kid to pick up and go, oh, so what does it actually mean? I think we've got to change the word. I know there's got to be a set of rules that sit behind the game, you know, because we need that. But can we have it in a more of an easier um, explained format for young umpires to understand? You know, a few more colourful pictures. Just to, I think there's a better way we can do it to make it easier for the umpire, particularly coming through the pathway. Is there one rule you think could be changed to make an umpire's job easier? If there's one you think could be taken out or the interpretation changed? Uh, yep, there's two. There's a two of my bugbears right now. First of all, when the players had five or six seconds, we go whistle, whistle, move it on, play on. Why do we say move it on? Why do we chuck another on in there? I'd want whistle, whistle, play on. Because how many players go on and then go and we cost a 50-minute penalty? So take that out, I reckon, immediately. Stand rule. We created a stand rule because we want the player on the mark to stand mark. But then we allow them to move five metres out the back and can you move where you want. So why do we create a rule that says stand? Now we're going to say outside five, outside five, move wherever you like. I just reckon they're the two that just by simplifying the rule and the process would make the umpire and the player's job a hell of a lot easier. Personal one for me was the hands in the back rule easier for umpires. If it was just there, yep. didn't matter whether they're pushing or not, their hands weren't allowed to be there. If they were there, you were able to pay that free kick. Free kick, yeah. Um, that was a big adjustment, that one, because you were so used to players you know, pushing off. And then I think the players spoke pretty strongly about you know, obviously holding your ground and getting that position. So, And here's a rule that's ca- that, that came in, Mark, as you know, and it came out sort of just as quick. And the one thing I'm, I'm really proud of our game is you know, AFL footy um, can just make change but adjust so quick. Like we make these changes in October, November – um, I think one of the years that I was in the AFL, we had probably close to 500 club visits across the country. So there's umpires at clubs every week going through them. By, by round one, March 18, we've adjusted really quickly, really quickly, which I think is a great thing for our game. You talked about the good environment we have in Western Australia where umpiring is concerned. Is the AFL doing enough to, to foster respect with umpires and making sure that they're in a good environment? 
I think so. I think Gill came out last year and obviously very strong with the, you know, the dissent rule. I mean, you know, the dissent was a word that we probably hadn't used too much in footy. It was always abuse, but dissent came out. How comfortable were you with that? Because some umpires weren't. Yeah, no, I was a little bit on the uncomfortable because I I felt like I had a really good rapport with players. That was one of my strengths. If I had one, it was that. I could I could do it. I didn't want a player coming up to me and sort of being not aggressive, but just a bit animated. That's That's okay. Um, but to, to shift the needle, you know, that sort of stuff was not on. I don't know. Um, but I think now we've got it. It's balanced itself out. I don't know. Brad Scott was pretty strong on that, which was quite ironic because Brad Scott was one of the worst players to abuse you and even bang the table in as, as a coach. But to his credit, you know, he, he, he saw it, it was a need and um, we adjusted. But again, we found the right needle position and, and we got on with it. And I think it's at an okay place now. If you were advising a young person who tried to be a player, either didn't work out because yep. of an injury or because not quite good enough. What would be your advice to them about becoming an umpire? Absolutely would strongly encourage it. Um, it Cause we've always seen ourselves as the 19th team or the, or the 11th team in the waffle where, you know, we train hard, you know, we compete, we've got a good brand of values and culture. Um, we're very inclusive. And like I do now, when I go to the country, you know, you see, you don't see enough 20, 30, 40 year old guys in the country. It's either, um, you know, the six-year-old bloke with a knee brace shuffling around doing it. But where do we, how do we get those young kids into the, more the regional areas? That's our next biggest challenge. But, you know, I've been lucky enough to be part of a great game in a playing capacity and a coaching capacity and to still say I'm involved in an umpiring capacity. You know, it's something I'm really proud of and hope I can continue making a difference for, for years to come. Dean, congratulations on a fantastic career. Congratulations on your ongoing contribution to football. I think it's a credit to yourself and a credit to the the umpiring fraternity, and hopefully it continues to go well for you. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for um, shining a light on umpiring and, um, and for my personal career and journey. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day.